Well, it is a blessing to be here and be with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Joe and I have uh, prayed together, cried together, and ministered together for a lot of years, and we have kindred hearts. And I know that his heart is to see people come to Christ. Amen? So just uh, for those of you that might not know, I just retired uh, from pastoral ministry back in uh, uh, the last of June after 40 years. And uh, I told somebody the other day, I wish I'd have kept a, a, a log or a diary and I could have written a book. But you know, in those 40 years, we had one goal and that goal was to win people for Jesus Christ. That, that was the goal. And uh, you would be surprised how many places I was assigned to where the people were oblivious to that goal. They thought, well, that goal belongs to the pastor. That's what he does. He, he shares the word and, and leads people to Christ and, and so forth and so on. What I want to, want to share with you this morning is to remind you, I know you've been uh, taught this, I know that Pastor Joe has led you in this, but I want to remind you about how important your witness is. Now, a lot of people, you know, they read the Great Commission, they say, oh, my goodness, I'll have to wait until I get a degree in theology, and I'll have to you know, I'll have to memorize the Bible and I'll have to do all these things before I can witness. But witnessing is sharing your story in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can take your, your story and your message and touch hearts. Now, I just want to share with you that part of this message today, uh, I, I sat down and labored over for uh, about a week uh, three years ago, part of it, and uh, last year, I believe it was, Perry Stone preached it. And then, uh, two or three more preachers on television preached it, and I thought, well, now I wonder if they're going to send me a royalty on this. <laughs> but then, the Holy Spirit reminded me that this was His Word and not mine, and, and so uh, I, I'm not going to give me any trouble over it. But I, if, you, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses there. And this is Paul talking to the church at Corneth. And uh, this was a baby church. And there was a lot of people that were immature. Uh, a lot of people that weren't, weren't, you know, grounded in their faith. And they didn't always act like Christians. Do you know anybody like that? Oh, don't put your hand up. But, there's, there's people in the church that are not yet sanctified. Do you, do you agree with me on that? And I mean, I've, I think I've seen it all, but there's, there's, uh, there's times when you just want to throw up your hands and say, why in the world are we doing this? But then God reminds us why we're doing it, and we're there for them to help them come along. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as of babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are not able. For you are still carnal. 
For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who Apollos, but ministers through whom we believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants, or he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. You know, one of the things that we have to be careful about in everything that we do is that we have to give God the glory for what takes place. Amen? You know, uh, we're, we're, we're human beings. We like to be recognized. We like to get credit for different things. But in walking in the Christian faith and walking in our witness, we have to make sure that God gets all the glory for everything that happens. And I'm just thankful today that uh, he gives us an anointing and lets us, lets us minister, but we give him the glory. You see, human nature, if you have figured this out so far, human nature is guided by different impulses, and it's guided by the old man at times when we're not yielded to the Holy Spirit. And we have a party spirit, a self-serving spirit. A lot of times, even in the church, there's strife and there's confusion. I said there's strife and confusion. Two of you agree with me. <laughs> and when that happens, it just stops the work of God. It slows down the work of God. I have, uh, in the past month went on a fast and the fast is that I turn the TV off and turn the news off and turn all that junk off because that stuff feeding into my spirit just drives me up the wall how about you and I said I just I just want to hear what God has to say I don't want to hear what the media has to say because in many cases the media is not telling the truth and so I just I just wanted to get away from that completely and so Paul's dealing with these people, and, and he's trying to bring them along. He's, ti he's, he's tired of, of having quarrelsome times in the church, argumentative spirits, all of those things in the church. And so he's addressing that because he knows as long as that exists in the church that the Holy Spirit is going to be quenched. Amen? So... We want to look at that. And evidence that carnality exists is when there's envy and strife and divisions. Now, I could tell you a hundred horror stories about uh, some churches, but I'm, I'm just going to tell you one. Aren't you glad this morning? And uh, I was assigned to this one church one time, and uh, uh, seemed to be really nice people and everything and and actually we saw some people that were saved in that church but they had this 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 division and there were two camps in the church now i know you never had any camps in the church but there were two camps in the church and it was amazing that on one month camp one would come to church and they'd say we're going to do this and this and this the next month 
the other, the other group would come and they'd say, no, we're not going to do this and this and this. We're going to do this. And it just went on that way for quite a while. And finally, uh, they took me out of that church because I had a three-point charge. I preached three times on Sunday morning. Nine, ten, twenty, and eleven, twenty. And uh, so they took me out of that charge because the one church in the middle of that charge wasn't into that. They were... They just wanted to hear what God had to say, and they took a hold of it. And people were, we had 55 people saved in, one re, in a revival in one week there. We went there, there was about 20, 20 people in the church. The church had split, I guess. And uh, they never tell you these things until you get there. But uh, God started to move in that church, and pretty soon the church filled up. And it was just a small town. My wife had a youth ministry, and we had a vacation Bible school, and we had to use the Grange Hall out back for the vacation Bible school because the church wouldn't contain the people. What's the difference in these two churches? One was listening to God, and one wasn't. And about uh, six months after I, I left that, that church, uh, they got a pastor, and, and they were interviewing the pastor in a Bible study. And uh, they were talking about their salvation experience, and it got around to him, and he said, well, I can't really remember if I had an experience like that. And, of course, there was dead silence in the room. Can you imagine? And about four or five months after that, they actually closed that church. And so... When we're in one accord with the Holy Spirit and we're letting God move through us, fruit comes. When we have this envy and strife, it doesn't happen. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. And so that's what we have. We have to take our piece of the pie, so to speak, and we've got to run with it in the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? You know, you, they didn't call me to lead the choir. And if you'd hear me sing, you'd know why. They didn't, they didn't call me to do a lot of things in the church, but God called me to preach. I got saved in 1972, and uh, uh, I was just excited about the Lord. Remember those first love days? And I was sitting in my living room reading the Bible, and the pastor showed up one evening, and... Uh, I proceeded to tell him what this scripture meant to me. And I said, you know, I, I just, I'm just excited about this. I feel like if I had one of Billy Graham's crowds here, I could preach it. And he said, well, we don't, we don't have Billy Graham's crowd, but if you want to preach on Sunday night, you can. And uh, being an introvert, uh, he left and I just, I just went cold. I thought, what have I done? How am I going to get out of this? And, uh, you know, I, I was, man, I was in the milk. I wasn't in the, in the meat. And I, I got there on Sunday night, and uh, uh, I told him everything I knew about the gospel. It took me about seven minutes. <laughs> and so I'd been around the church long enough to know at the end of the service you give an invitation, and I did that. And this young man, 16 years old, came down the aisle, and gave his heart to Jesus Christ in that service. And 
I can't tell you it was an audible voice. I don't, you know, but I heard it in my spirit. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And God said this to me. This is what I've called you to do. And ever since that night, I've tried to be faithful to do what God has called me to do. And he's given us great, great fruit along the way. And so... Uh, what does enduring work look like? I mean, when, when, when we're faithful to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to work, what does it look like and who's involved? I'm going to say this to you. Every one of you here in this sanctuary this morning is called of God to tell your story. You're called of God to tell your story. To tell other people what Jesus has done for you. And as you do that, there will be fruit. Now, when we think about enduring work and what's it look like when we're witnessing and, and great fruit comes forth, my hero of the faith is Billy Graham. Now, you may, you may or may not connect with him, but I love Billy Graham. And in fact, to this day, when they play the classics, you know, and they, they show the old crusades, I'm still sitting there, I'm still listening, tears are still running down my cheeks when they give the invitation. He's preached the same sermon for 60 years, he's, he's used the same closing hymn for 60 years, and had the same results for 60 years, because God honors his story. And so we look to him and say, well, gee, I could, I could never be like Billy Graham. Well, God's not called us to be like Billy Graham. He's called us to tell our story and be faithful with what we have. Billy Graham's preached about 417 crusades in 185 countries, or 100, yeah, 185 countries, six continents, and he's preached that message for 60 years, and there's been millions of souls that are one. Can you imagine when he gets to heaven, well, he's, God's taken him home, but in heaven, how many people are going to come up and hug his neck and shake his hand and say, thank you. Thank you for telling me your story. Thank you for preaching to me. Thank you for sharing. And so it begs the, the question, well, who led Billy Graham to Christ? Well, that was Mordecai Ham. Now, he wanted to be a salesman because his daddy and his granddad were both preachers. And not only were they preachers, they were poor preachers. I don't mean they preached poorly. I just mean they were broke all the time. And uh, he looked at them and he said, I don't want to be broke all the time. I'm not going to be a preacher. I'm going to be a shoe salesman. But God has his way. And Mordecai went to uh, an evangelistic service and surrendered his life to Christ. And history says that in his life he led about 300,000 people to the cross and to know Jesus Christ. He just went and told his story. Well, he was the one that was preaching when Billy went and got saved. They called it the cornfield conversion. And Billy heard him and he, he gave his heart to Christ and God launched him into that ministry. So it asked the question, who led Mordecai Ham to Christ? Well, this was an unusual character. 
he, uh, he had this to say. He said, I'm against sin. I'll kick it if I have a foot. I'll fight it if I have a fist. I'll butt it as long as I have a head. I'll bite it as long as I have teeth. And when I'm old and footless and fistless and toothless, I'll gum it until I go to glory. <laughs> what he said. And that was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday played ball for uh, the Chicago White Sox. Now, Billy Sunday uh, was a very popular evangelist to uh, the people out on the street, and they were coming to Christ by the thousands. He was not popular among the preachers in the ministerial association in town. They called him in several times and says, you've got to tone it down. You can't talk to people like that. You can't tell them they're sinners. You can't point these things out. And he was, you know, he was on top of it. But he's the one uh, that, that spoke to Mordecai. Well, who led Billy Sunday to Christ? There's a quiet guy, J. Wilbur Chapman. He was a Presbyterian evangelist. Yeah, Presbyterian evangelist. <laughs> How many Presbyterians do we have in here? <laughs> Two. All right. He said this, he said, anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life is wrong for me and as a Christian I must turn away from it. And he, he's the one that led uh, Billy Sunday to Jesus Christ. Well, who led Wilbur Chapman to Christ? You'll recognize that name. That was D.L. Moody. You know D.L. I mean, he, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Publishers. Say he preached to audiences of 10 to 20,000 frequently and reportedly preached to 100 million people. Can you imagine that? You know how many people was in one of the first churches I had? Six. I get this. The youngest one in the group was 89 years old. <laughs> and there was one guy that had an old 68 Chrysler. He had one eye shot out in the war. He was blind in the other one. And he drove the whole congregation to church. He'd <laughs> go up around the hill and pick them all up. And they told me, this is the truth I'm telling you here. They told me, they said, if you see that white Chrysler coming down the bottom road, you try to get off until he goes by. Because he, he wanders over until he hears the weeds hitting the fenders and then he pulls it back over. And so... The McCoy Church. Tell you one more story about the McCoy Church. I thought it'd be an inspiration to them if the other two churches would come down there on one Sunday and have service. So about Easter time, I, I talked them into doing that. And they came down, and Bessie Ferguson was the, uh, the pianist and the organist up at uh, Fairview Church. And I asked her, I said, will you play for us? And she said, yes. So we all come down there. We had a pretty nice crowd, uh, filled that little church all up, made those people so happy. And they kept calling out hymns that they wanted to sing. And uh, I don't know, this went on for about a half an hour. And I turned around and Bessie's face is red as a beet. 
And I thought, well, she doesn't look very well. And then it dawned on me it was a pump organ. And we, we just about did her in, but bless God. <laughs> bless God, it was a good surf. Yeah. Well, but here's what, here's what I want to impress on you this morning. Who led Moody to Christ? It was a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. Now, Edward Kimball was not an evangelist. He was not a preacher. He did not have a church. He just everyday guy. And he was a Sunday school teacher for a young men's class. But Edward Kimball had something that all of us need. He had a passion and a heart for the souls of these young men. And uh, this one young man came one time, and then he never came back. And Edward Kimball couldn't get him off of his mind. And he asked questions. Where where's this boy live? Where, where can I find him? And they said, well, he works part-time down at the shoe store. So Edward Kimball, by his own testimony, went with fear and trembling. Afraid, you know, sometimes when you start to witness, you're, you know how you get shook up? Well, that's the way he went. And he witnessed to this young man from his heart, said his heart was pounding and there was sweat running down his face. And he said, I felt so bad because the young man was unresponsive. He, he wasn't, he just wasn't paying much attention. And he said, so I left and I, I went back to pray, and a few days later he got a call, and this young man came to see him, and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. His name was D.L. Moody. So, if you're a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader in children's ministry, I want you to know that you have the potential to launch another D.L. Moody that has the potential to save a Wilbur Chapman that has the potential to raise up a Billy Sunday, that has the potential to raise up a Mordecai Ham, that has the potential to lead a Billy Graham to Christ, and thousands can be saved. So over a course of 140 years or so, this seed that this Sunday school teacher sowed yielded fruit a hundredfold and more, didn't it? Never underestimate what God has for you. And sometimes witnessing, you know, when I, when I just got saved, uh, I was working in a machine shop. And at 9 o'clock at break time, they had this big round uh, basin where you could go and wash your hands. Everybody could get around it. And it was Monday morning. And... One guy's talking about his golf game over the weekend, another guy talking about a ball game, and another guy talking about this and that. And I don't know where it came from, I just opened my mouth and it fell out. I said, I got saved. It was like E.F. Hutton spoke. It was, just, it was just dead silence. And you know those guys put a choir together just for me. I'd come down through the shop and they'd break out in bringing in the sheaves and they just harassed me something awful. 
And that was kind of difficult as a brand new Christian. But there was this one guy in the shop. His name was Lavelle. He was six foot seven, weighed over 300 pounds. He came from West Virginia. His family ran whiskey down there in the hills. And he was rough as a cob. And he, he made me his primary target and project. Amen? I mean, he was on me all the time. And here I am, brand new baby Christian, walking around in my spiritual pampers, not knowing exactly what to do. You know, and, and he just got me so mad one time. I, I'm ashamed to tell you, but there were some thoughts went through my head that were not holy. They were not Christian. I remember one time he had me so stirred up, I thought to myself, we had these pry bars about that long that we opened molds with. I thought, if I get up on that stool and take him in the side of the head and get him on the floor, he won't get up. <laughs> Bless God. And I had, I had to repent of that. But I, I, I kept trying to witness to him, and I, I just felt like I'm not getting anywhere with this guy. And one Saturday afternoon, late, he called the house. And uh, he said, I'm coming to your house. Oh. So I asked Shirley to take the kids upstairs. I said, you just stay up there. You don't come down. I can still, in my mind's eye, see him coming through my front door. Had a Stetson hat on. He had to bend down like this to get through my front door. There he stood. It was like David and Goliath. <laughs> and uh, he sat down. And I said, Lavelle, what is it you want? Honestly, I thought he was drinking. And uh, he said, I, 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 I got to tell you. He said, I, I was coming home from Columbus today. And he said, do you know where you get off there at Buckeye Lake? And I said, yeah. Well, he said, I was right there and Jesus got in the car with me. And I thought, he is drinking. <laughs> I said, what do you mean Jesus got in the car with you? He said, Jesus got in the car with me. He said, I was going along there and there he sat right there in the seat beside me. He said... And he told me that everything you've been trying to tell me is exactly what my grandmother said back in West Virginia when I was sitting on her knee in a rocking chair. He said, I pulled off the road. And he said, I want you to know I've given my heart to Jesus. Man, I, I thought, man, I, I totally blew this whole thing. That guy... Didn't hear a word I said. I almost took him out with a pry bar. <laughs> but Jesus redeemed him. And let me tell you something. When he got to work on Monday morning, he was a ball of fire. He was going through them guys like, you know, he, he was telling them about Jesus, and they, they just... They just try to avoid him, but he just follow them around the shop and tell them. <laughs> I got him a Bible. He started to attend a church that I had at that time, and he came to Bible study. He moved back to West Virginia. 
But the thing I want to say to you about that is that the most, what seems to be the most impossible uh, people to reach are the ones that God is speaking to because of your story. Every one of you in this church has a story to tell. Every one of you. The, the one thing, I'm going to close with this. The one thing that, that I've noticed over the years is the churches that took off and grew, and we've had some significant ones, were the churches where the congregation decided this is my story and I've got to tell it consistently. And they, they start sharing their witness, bringing people to church, praying for people. They do the ministry. Amen? And man, these churches would just take off. So I just want to encourage you this morning that wherever you are in your walk, that you remember what your primary goal is, what your primary task is, and that is to share Christ, share your Christ with everybody that you encounter. And sometimes things just open up and it's easy, and sometimes you really have to mine it to get there. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Don't listen to the devil. The first, first full-time church we went to had split. There were about 20 left in it. And uh, God started to move. And the devil said, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. This is not going to work. And I'd go over to the church and lay down on the altar at night and pray and seek the Lord. And listen, there's ministers come out of that church. There's, there's multitudes came, came to Christ. God is faithful to take your word and bless it. He'll bless it. Amen? So this morning, I, I just want to invite you to just think about how many people you've shared your witness with, how many people you've led to Christ. I got a letter the other day in the mail from a church, uh, a church board actually, and they said we're having we're having some difficulties. Uh, we this is the first year in all all these years that we haven't had enough money to pay our missions budget. We haven't had anybody come to Christ this year. And we haven't had this and we haven't had that. And friends, that is the picture of many churches in America today. You need to thank God you've got a pastor that preaches the gospel, that you've got a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit, that you've got a move of God here, but it takes you as well. If you've been sitting on the sidelines and letting everybody else do it, it's time to get up, get excited, and get on the front line. Amen? So I'm just going to invite you to close this service. I don't know whether you have some music you want to play or not, but I'm um, just going to open this time up for prayer. And uh, you want to come and say, God, just give me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody. Give me the anointing I need to do that. If you'd like to make that, that prayer this morning, pray that prayer this morning and make a commitment to be faithful to what he's calling you to do, 
just come on down and we'll stand here. Pastor will come and we'll, we'll just trust God to do a new work, an exciting work in your heart. Amen.